Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. I see that I am clipping, driving, overdriving this preamp. Good morning or afternoon, Rob and Lewis and Caitlin and the rest of you. Great to have you with us as we get a little closer to a conclusion to Romans 11. And today we're going to engage with the question, does Paul see a mass conversion of Israel at the end of time before Jesus returns? Now, I raise that question because that is the predominant view among non-dispensational believers. Now, dispensationalists would see a mass conversion at the end, but that's all wrapped up in the pre-tribulational rapture and the rapture, I mean the uh, tribulation seven years with Israel when the Antichrist comes and so on, and then Jesus comes at the end of that and brings about the millennium. And of course, there's going to be significant Jewish convert uh, conversion uh, heading into the millennium in that view. Uh, you probably know and probably can tell by the way I'm describing this. I don't think any of that is, uh, is in the Bible. I don't see anything about a pre-trib rapture and so on. And my guess is most of my uh, followers come from more of a reformed uh, Calvinistic covenantal perspective. At least that's where most of you used to be. And the predominant view there is the idea of, uh, based on Romans 11 here, of uh, this time leading to the fullness of the Gentiles. But at the end of that period, the end of the church age, right before Jesus comes back, there's going to be a mass conversion of Jews. I think, uh, in fact, Lewis, I think, uh, sent to me a uh, video that John Piper did on this passage and was teaching that. Lewis, am I, am I correct? Is that uh, where he ended up with that? All right. So, well, I don't think so. And I'll see if I can convince you that something else is going on here. If not, that's fine. Uh, but at least let's wrestle through it together. So remember Romans 9, verse 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed. That is the driving concern of Romans 9 through 11. Has God failed to keep his word to the Jews through all the prophecies, all the promises all the way back even to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all the predictions of worldwide blessing, universal blessing, restoration, all of that. Has God failed? And of course, his answer is no. Uh, not all Israel is Israel. Within the larger circle of biological, physical descendants of Abraham, there is a subset of what he calls children of promise, starting with Isaac. He was Isaac, not Ishmael. And then Jacob was promised, not Esau. And he extends that to say that has always been the case. The offspring of Jacob are not equal to or synonymous with the children of promise. Even among the vast majority of ethnic Israelites in Isaiah's day, he says, you left us a remnant. 
The, the number of Israelites are more numerous than the stars in the sky, but you've only saved a remnant. So with all of that, he walks through, in 1911, walks through the various Old Testament prophecies, showing this was always going to be the case, and indicating that in Paul's own day, in the first century, the majority of the offspring of Jacob was hardened. The remnant received the benefits of the Messiah, but the rest were hardened. God judicially blinded them so they could not see the Messiah for who he was and receive his righteousness and be saved. So after laying all of that out, Paul says now to you Romans, the recipients of the letter, you Gentiles, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. Why were the Jews uh, why, why did they miss the Messiah? Well, you would say, Doug, you just told us because God hardened them. Yes, but Paul actually answers that question with because of unbelief. And if they turn and believe, they'll be grafted in again. And you, you Gentiles, you've been grafted in because of their unbelief. But if you let go of your belief, you'll be cut off just like they are. And then he gets to verse 25 of chapter 11 and says, For I do not wish you to be ignorant, brothers, of this secret or mystery. We've been over that. What a mystery is. Something that was hidden that's now been revealed. Something now is being uncovered, and I don't want you to miss it, brothers. I don't want you Romans to miss this. I don't want you to be wise in your own conceits. And here's the mystery that's being revealed. That hardness in part to Israel has happened until the fullness of the nations may come in. So whenever this fullness, or could be translated fulfillment, of the nations comes in, then the implication is that the hardening of Israel will come to an end. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So all of those predictions and prophecies of, of all Israel and, and going and getting all the, the people from all the nations and bringing them back to Jerusalem and Zion and all that, the, all those passages we looked at in Isaiah and such about Israel, uh, speaking of a, a huge number and the, 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 this mass group will be saved in this way. According as it has been written, and he quotes from Isaiah, there will come forth out of Zion he who is delivering. That's Jesus. And he will turn away impiety from Jacob. Jesus will come and he will deliver Israel. And this to them is the covenant from me. All of that is quoting from Isaiah 59. And then this last, when I may take away their sins. We looked at this yesterday. This is from Isaiah 27. This is predicting the destruction of the temple. So we're getting some time reference here. And then he goes on, and we'll come back to this in a, in a moment. So here's what I think the fullness of the nations is. I think it is the makeup of God's people being predominantly 
Gentile. And I think that happened in the first century. Now, I'll come back to that in a minute. Let me, uh, I used to think that it had more to do with the actual destruction of Jerusalem. Because similar language is used in Luke 21. And I'll show you that in a minute too. All right, so let's, let's define our terms here. Fullness of the nations. This is the same term. Let's see, did I pull that up for you? Uh, yes, yeah, same term that's used back in verse 11. So here, verse 25, the fullness of the nations. See that? The hardness has happened until the fullness of the nations. Well, here's what he said back in chapter 11, verse 11. I say then, did they, speaking of Israel, stumble that they might fall? Let it not be. But by their fall, the salvation is to the nations. So Israel fell, salvation goes to the nations to arouse Israel to jealousy. And if their fall, the fall of the Israelites, is riches of the world and their diminishment, the riches of the nations, how much more their fullness. You see how he's using fullness here? It's in contrast to fall. It's in contrast to rejecting Christ. So the fullness is salvation. It's accepting that Jesus is Messiah. It's receiving the benefit of the Messiah. You see that? It's very important that everybody sees how, how he uses this word fullness. It could be translated fulfillment, but it, it, either way, we get our definition and use here by the contrast, if the Jews experience fullness, it means they would come and receive salvation and accept the Messiah. Everybody got that? So that, I think, is most likely then the same way he's using it here at the end of chapter 11. Hardness, in part, happened to Israel until the fullness of the nations may come in. Until the nations, the Gentiles, accept the Messiah and they come in. Come into what? I think it's coming into God's people. Coming into uh, the the. the well, I don't want to say church. I mean, I do, but that's that's nowhere mentioned here. But uh, it, the the fullness has occurred. Idea. Uh, Ken says, so you think it may be when Paul turned from going to the Jews and then preached to the Gentiles? Uh, I think that's. I think that is yes. That's the progression we see in the book of Acts. Let me hone in a little bit more. So. Um, like I said, I, I used to take this specifically referring to the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD because of the uh, similar language. Let me show you. Luke 21, 20. And when you see, speak, he's speaking to the, uh, the disciples, the, the 12, uh, when you see or may see Jerusalem surrounded by encampments. So when you see the city under siege, then know that her desolation has come near. This word desolation, if you read the prophets, especially Isaiah, but, but it's all over the, in all the prophets, this is the word that God uses 
when he talks about destroying Jerusalem. He leaves it desolate. We saw this yesterday, that the women are going to be out picking up sticks to burn because everything's dry. There's just no one around. Animals wander through because there's no one around. So Jesus says, in his, in his, while he's still alive, Jesus says to his disciples, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, the desolation time is near. Then those in Judea, let them flee to the mountains. And those in her midst, let them depart out. And those in the countries, do not let them come into her. So he's giving his disciples forewarning that when you see the army march up and surround Jerusalem, run for the hills. If you're out in the hills, do not come back into the city. Why? Because these are days of vengeance to fulfill all things that have been written. So when Jerusalem is destroyed, it is God's vengeance to fulfill all of the promises of vengeance that were written in the prophets. And woe to those with child and those giving suck in those days, for there will be great distress on the land and wrath on this people, the Israelites. And they will fall by the mouth of the sword and will be led captive to all the nations and Jerusalem will be trodden down by nations until the times of the nations be fulfilled. Now what I think he's getting at here is the times of the nations, meaning the times that the nations are allowed to destroy Jerusalem as predicted in Daniel 9, for instance. Now, you may have more questions on this. I did a series called uh, What About Israel? a couple years ago. It's on a YouTube playlist. You can check it out. And I walk through Romans 9 through 11, much like I have with you here recently. But then I go to Matthew 24, Luke 21, uh, Daniel 9, several places in Isaiah. I go, I go beyond just Romans to give you hopefully a much fuller picture to try to make the point that I'm making right now. But I'm trying to stick mostly with Romans here and not get too sidetracked. By the way, um, uh, tomorrow and Thursday, I'm going to finish up Romans 11. And along the way, I will take more questions. So we'll give a little bit of space there for the next two days to, uh, to interact with questions uh, because I'm sure I've raised some. But I, I do want to say I did a whole series trying to interact with all of the elements in biblical text surrounding this idea called What About Israel? Romans 9 through 11. You can find it. I'll put a, I'll put a link at the end of this, uh, uh, at the end of this uh, video as well. All right. So I think the times of the Gentiles in Luke, the times of the nations is uh, R Rome sieging Jerusalem. But the language is similar. I used to think then that Romans 11 was saying the same thing, the fullness of the nations, which is very similar to the uh, times of the nations fulfilled. But because of the parallel with verse 11 and following of chapter 11, and because I, as I, the more I ponder this context, I, I think the fullness of the nations means when the Gentiles are the primary, uh, the, the majority of God's people, 
which, uh, yes, Ken was alluding to it. So Paul and others, as they went to the Gentiles, what we had is this repeated pattern of Jews rejecting the gospel and Gentiles accepting the gospel. So much so that Paul can say this was according to plan. There's a remnant, 3,000 Jews came to Christ on the day of Pentecost. And then you've got a few more thousand shortly thereafter. But then after that, over the next several decades, the church is predominantly made up of Gentiles. Just as Isaiah and others predicted. So I think that's what he's talking about here. Um, Let's see our time. I'm trying to decide here. Okay, uh, let me let me do this. So let me just walk through a little bit more in Romans 11 here and then see if we want to look at anything else. So here's, here's, I think, the point, okay? Paul says, I do not wish you to be ignorant, brothers, of this mystery, this secret, this mystery, that you may not be wise in your own conceits, that hardness in part to Israel has happened. First century, Israel is hardened. They do not receive Messiah. This is going to last until the nations come to accept Jesus and come in to the people of God, if you will, which I believe happened in the first century. In fact, uh, Colossians 1, look at this. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, always praying for you, having heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that is to all the holy ones because of the hope that is laid up for you in the heavens, which you heard of beforehand by the word of the truth of the good news, which has come to you as also in all the world. See that? Paul is saying in his day that this good news has come to the Colossians and is bearing fruit in all the world. Now, that's somewhat of a hyperbolic statement, isn't it? But it has gone out of Jerusalem and beyond just the Jews, into the whole Mediterranean region. In fact, Paul himself is responsible for the vast majority of that gospel progress. The nations were coming in all through Paul's ministry and the ministry of others so that he could say the whole world has heard the gospel. Now, again, that's, that's hyperbole, but compared to just the Jews, it's a fair statement. So I think that's what he's getting at here. This hardness to a part, a part of Israel has happened until the fullness, the acceptance of the nations has come in, which I would say took place in Paul's day. If so, then the hardening, the time of the hardening would be coming to an end in Paul's day, which is exactly what I think happens here. And so all Israel will be saved. According as it has been written, quote, there will come forth out of Zion, he who is delivering. So they're going to come to Jesus. He's the one, right? He's the deliverer. And when I take away their sins, Isaiah 27, when the altar stones are pulverized. So I think we get some timing reference here, this taking away of their sins, the destruction of the temple. So, If Romans is written in sometime in the 60s, as most scholars think it was, then he's closing in on the time 
when the fullness of the nations has come in and the temple is going to be destroyed in 70 AD. So it's just on the horizon for Paul's audience. Now look at what he says. As regards indeed the good tidings or the good news, the gospel, they are, that is the Israelites are, enemies on your account. The Jews are God's enemies, or at least the gospel's enemies, on the account of the Romans. Right? That's, that's what he said before, uh, that God's going to use the gospel going out to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. And God's hardened them so he could take the gospel to the Gentiles. So from that perspective, regarding the gospel, the Jews are hardened and they are enemies of the gospel for the sake of the Gentiles. You see that. But on the other hand, as regards the divine selection, they are beloved. The Israelites are beloved on account of the fathers. All those promises made, which I take the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, the whole world be blessed in you and so on. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all the promises made to the patriarchs. God selected those patriarchs and therefore he still loves Israel because of those promises. So you see the, the juxtaposition here. The Israelites are enemies for you Gentiles, but they're beloved because of the fathers. Why? For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now, that's not exactly what this Greek word means. Uh, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. It means without regret. God does not regret his gifts and calling that he made to the fathers and therefore to their offspring. He doesn't regret it. Now, irrevocable kind of gets at it, but there's no remorse here. It's not as though God is saying, oh, I wish I hadn't done that because look at him. That's, no, that's not the point. This is all according to plan. For as you also, you Romans, also once did not believe in God and now found kindness by the unbelief of these Israelites, right? You were in unbelief, but now you've been shown mercy and kindness because of the unbelief of the Jews. So also these Israelites now did not believe that in your kindness, they also may find kindness. So you Romans didn't believe and now you do because of the unbelief of the Israelites in the same way as that. That's what so also means. In the same way, these didn't believe but that in your kindness, they also may find kindness now. And I told you this before. If you look at other translations like uh, NASB here. So these also now have been disobedient or unbelieving that because of the mercy shown to you, they may also now be shown mercy. Now, in some of the Greek manuscripts, the word now does not appear. And as scholars debate and discuss and try to figure out, is this now supposed to be here or not? Uh... There is some debate. I think the, the text requires it because that's he, the parallelism is, that's the whole point. And I would lean with those scholars that say it's more likely that scribes removed the word now 
because to them, they couldn't make sense of how it applied. They misunderstood it, I would say. It doesn't make sense they would have put it in. So all that say, and if, if you've never studied textual criticism, maybe none of that means anything to you. The bottom line is, I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that now is original and certainly implied even if it's not original. So the whole context here is what's happening in Paul's day. So these Jews that did not believe, they are going to receive kindness now. Why? For God shut up together the whole Jews and Gentiles. See this reciprocation? He keeps going back and forth between the, the Romans and Jews. God shut up the whole, everyone, Jews and Gentiles, to unbelief. That to the whole he might do kindness or mercy. Going back to chapter 3, all have, fa- have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God did this. This is always his plan that all Jews, all Gentiles, they would all be under sin and in unbelief so that he could send the Redeemer and save all of them, Jews and Gentiles. I don't mean, I don't mean universalism here, but from Jews and from Gentiles. And that the hardening of Israel was going to be lifted after 70 AD. Let me show you one more here, and then uh, then we've got to wrap this up. So here's what Matthew, here's what Jesus says in Matthew. This is Matthew 23, where he pronounces his curses on the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the graves of the prophets and adorn the tombs of the righteous. You, you make a big deal of these, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those guys from the past and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. You know, the Jews back in Isaiah's day and Jeremiah's day, they treated them with great contempt. And the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day say, we wouldn't have been like them. Jesus says, so that you testify to yourselves that you are sons of them, of them who murdered the prophets. Your own behavior is going to show you're just like those Jewish leaders who murdered the prophets. What's he talking about? Well, again, I, if you read the surrounding chapters, he's talking about what these same scribes and Pharisees are going to do to those whom Jesus sent, the apostles, the disciples. They're going to persecute them and show that they're just like their ancestors. And you fill up the measure of your fathers. That's an ominous phrase. Fill up the measure of your fathers, those who murdered the prophets. Serpents, brood of vipers, how may you escape the judgment of Gehenna? You can't. Your body is going to be dragged out and burned in Gehenna. Because of this, behold, I send to you prophets and wise men and scribes, right? The apostles and the prophets, the first century. And of them you will kill and crucify, and of them you will scourge in your synagogues, and you will pursue them from city to city. We see this played out in the book of Acts. That on you, on who? On you, the scribes and Pharisees he's talking to, may come all the righteous blood being poured out on the earth from the blood of Abel the righteous to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. 
Truly I say to you, all these things will come on this generation. God is predicting the destruction of these Jewish leaders. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that are killing the prophets and stoning those sent to you. How often I will to gather your children together as a hen gathers her own chickens under her wing, under the wings, and you did not will. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Their house is the temple. And maybe even broader in the city, the Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, I'm going to destroy you. I am going to wipe you out. For I say to you, you may not see me from now on until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's from Psalm 118. That is a statement of believing the Messiah. That's what they cried out on uh, on uh, Palm Sunday to Jesus saying, you know, we accept this is the Messiah. But then they changed their mind. It was all going to happen in the first century, and it did, 70 AD. All of these scribes and Pharisees and the vast majority of the people were blinded and hardened to the truth of who Jesus is. But I think Paul is telling us here in Romans 11, the mystery that has been revealed is that when the temple is destroyed, the hardening will be lifted. And now I believe... From that day till now, Jews are not unique to God, nor are they particularly the enemies of God any more than any other sinning nation. And that because of the promises made to the fathers, there will always be Israelites who come to faith, who come to the deliverer or the redeemer, but not that there's going to be a huge number of them at the end, there's going to be a huge number all the way through history, just like there's a huge number of the Gentiles. So bottom line is, I think Romans 11 was fulfilled in 70 AD. I believe the hardening was lifted. And now the gospel is taking over the world. And as the gospel does that, some of those who come to faith will be Israelites. That's what I think. Uh, we'll come back tomorrow and the next day and uh, spend some more time going slow and interacting with more of your questions. Let me, let me just see real quick. Uh, uh, Rob says around 38 to 70 AD would be the time period for the fulfillment of this understanding. Exactly. Uh, Lon says, so Israel's full, has the fullness occurred yet? Um, the fullness from verse 11. Uh, well, that verse 11 is not predicting their fullness as much as he's kind of saying, uh, it, it, that's what he goes on to say. It'd be like life from the dead if they come. Westminster Derek, would you say that all Israel is in fact saved when the Gentiles have come in because Gentiles coming in comprise true spiritual issue? issue? Israel, uh, I don't think anything in Romans 9 through 11 uh, is speaking of Gentiles as spiritual Israel. I believe it's all ethnic Israel. Uh, that, that, yeah, don't. Someone brought this up the other day. I don't think this is a parallel to Galatians 6. I don't think he's calling believers Israel here. I think this is all about true ethnic Israel. Uh, elect Israel within ethnic Israel is what I think 
the whole point is. Uh, Rob says, like you once were, but now the great transitional pa passage. Uh, I'd have to look that up. Ken says, that makes sense with the inauguration of the new covenant. Right. All right. Uh, if you have more questions, save them, bring them back tomorrow and the next day. We'll take a little more time with this. Uh, but I want to kind of lay out the whole picture in one one video so we kind of get it. And then uh, we'll come back and there's a, there's a few more things here in chapter 11 that we will definitely get in as he quotes from Isaiah 40. So we'll take a look at that as well. All right. Have a great day, everyone. We will see you, Lord willing, tomorrow. God bless.